I forgot to ask if you wanted to stand and stretch before the message. Uh, if you feel like you need to stand and stretch, uh, please do as we make a shift here to the message time. And as we do that, I'd like to ask you to get your Bibles and turn in them to where we left off last week. Uh, and if you weren't here last week, too bad, no, it was Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we left off last week. Uh, I'm going to be continuing the theme that I started some time ago, which was under the heading of Fear Not. We've examined passages which undergird and strengthen our resolve to be strong and of good courage, like the Lord told Moses and Joshua and down through the ages, his people, to fear not, to neither be afraid. And Romans chapter 8 uh, is a chapter of scripture that uh, I don't think anyone could ever tap the depths of. I'm certainly not going to. Um, and last week we were looking at the last third of that chapter, verses 28 through 39. Um, many vital truths that we see with regards to this same topic. Um, verse 28 is probably a, a chapter that, or a verse that is, is well known among God's people anyway. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And of course, as I pointed out to you, um, I'm starting at the very end of that verse, not even going to uh, deal much with the first part of it that, that we know so well, um, other than to say what I said last week. Uh, you know, things may not seem good to us at first, and sometimes it may not seem good as, as uh, uh, the world looks at things that God allows in our life, but we can be certain that God says all things work together, together for good. Sometimes we don't completely understand ever just exactly why we go through what we go through, but uh, God understands, and, and all, most often we can look back and we can see, and we ought to have the mindset that we know that it is going to be good, and so God, what are you up to, no matter what might come, and uh, just trust him and, and obey him. There's, there's some huge uh, truths prior to this last portion of chapter 8. I'd like to just uh, mention a couple of them here today. Uh, notice verse 14 with me of chapter 8. It says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And that's just kind of, you can flip that around and, and know that if you are a child of God, God will lead you. God leads us. And that's, of course, not the uh, point of my message today. Um, down in verse 17, verse 16, it says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Holy Spirit gives us assurance. It's not a guessing game. You can know that you have eternal life. You can know where you'll spend eternity. You can know that all things work together for the good uh, as a child of God. We have that uh, spirit uh, that helps us to know these things. And verse 17, of course, uh, if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Can you... 
Uh, think on that one for a while. Joint heirs with Christ. And, of course, we get on down further in that, like verse 26, where it says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. And, and uh, we, that's based upon the truth that we are given the Holy Spirit of God to indwell us at the moment of salvation. And uh, uh, he is there to help our infirmities or our weaknesses. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered in verse 26. Verse 27, and he, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. My friends, when we don't know how we ought to pray, and all too often we don't, although he says, make your request known, but we may not know just exactly what God's will is with regards to a matter. But when we get to that place and we're not just quite sure what to do, the Holy Spirit's there making intercession for us. And so some huge, huge things that we see in, in Romans chapter 8. It is, a, it is a, an amazing chapter of God's promises and things. But um, we have a series of questions uh, that start in verse 31, and that's kind of where I got the title for my message, If God Be For Us. Um, we see here, uh, these, this series of questions, they are rhetorical questions. They are, they are asked just to make a point uh, because it's a no-brainer what the answer is, um, and it just is to be making a point. And last week, the, I set my course, uh, these five vital truths that we see here, uh, the extent of his purpose, that's coming from the very last part of verse 28, uh, according to his purpose, in verse 28 it says, we see the extent of his provision, the extent of his pardon, verses 33 and 34, the extent of his protection, verse 35 through 37, and then in the tail end of this, uh, the extent of his presence. And, of course, this ought to help to calm things down as we get into uh, this tumultuous world that we live in, uh, known today, of course, as 2020. What's coming next? Who knows what's coming next? Uh, last week, we talked about the extent of his purpose, and that's all we got covered. I thought I'd make at least two points, but I didn't, and I'm not sure just how far I'll get today. So let me uh, back up and get a run at this here today. Uh, the extent of his purpose is seen in verse 29 and 30, where it says, uh, whom he did foreknow. That's coming out of verse uh, 28. According to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, uh, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he also called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So we see here that uh, those that God foreknew, he predestinated. Those he predestinated, he also called. Those that he called, he has justified. And those that he has justified, uh, he also, and notice, past tense, has glorified. And so what we see here is Locked in place is the child of God from eternity past to eternity future 
with regards to the sovereign purpose of God. That's God's purpose for God's people. Uh, God is sovereign, and uh, he is in absolute and complete control. No one or no thing can thwart his plan or purposes or hinder the execution of those plans or purposes. And, of course, uh, this is about us as believers. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior, uh, you're outside of this. Uh, and the way you get inside of this is to trust Christ as your Savior and, uh, and to call upon him to save you from your sins. And, of course, this is a pretty important uh, thing to remember uh, with regards to just this world is concerned. Uh, turn back with me. Put your bulletin or something there in Romans 8. I've got to take a little sidetrack here. Proverbs chapter 21. Uh, in light of what we've seen this week, uh, we need to keep in mind uh, not just the sovereign purpose of God with regards to, to our life, but in Proverbs chapter 21, notice what it says in verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Uh, over in Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar uh, had a lesson in the sovereignty of God. In Daniel chapter 4, following his uh, seven years of being a madman, he came back to his senses and, and noticed this, this statement in Daniel chapter 4, verse 34, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth, verse 35, are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the armies of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? You know, in this past week, uh, with the election like it is, um, hanging in limbo, uh, we just need to keep in mind that God is sovereign and he can be trusted. And he is the one that is in control of these things. And... Uh, you know, looking at it on the outside, it looks like it's just a mess, and it is kind of a mess, a mess that we don't like to see, but it's, uh, you know, going to get messy. Uh, you read the perilous times of these last days in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and, and the signs of the times in Matthew chapter 24. It gets kind of messy in these last days, and, uh, and yet God is in sovereign control. We can, we can uh, be sure of that. So I guess my question or my point here would be, do you know the Lord? If you don't, when things get messy, sometimes we get worried and we fear and we uh, kind of worry and stress and stew about things and we don't need to do that as God's people. Fear not, the Lord says. Be of good courage. Be not afraid. So moving on in our text here today, uh, to the extent of his provision in verse 31 and 32. I'm back in Romans now, in case I've lost you. Romans chapter 8. Verse 31, here's the beginning of this list of questions. What shall we say 
to these things. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, this is a question that I'm going to look at a little closer later. But uh, because you can be certain there's those that are against us as God's people. But uh, going on here, as we, as we consider the Lord's, the extent of God's provision, verse 32, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. You know, God spared not his own son. And as we stop and reflect upon that for just a moment, uh, it points up to us the infinite price of redemption. The very Son of God, the second person of a triune Godhead, creator and sustainer of all things. And yet he humbled himself and entered into the human race that he might go to the cross of Calvary and provide redemption uh, for us as lost mankind. He spared not his own son. Oh, the measureless and the unimaginable love of God that he would do that. Kind of like it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Um, that little two-letter word, so, uh, is limitless. The, the uh, measureless love of God. He spared not his own son, but he delivered him up. Delivered him up to what? Well, he delivered him up uh, to what we see in the Gospels. Jesus went about doing good to all that he came in contact with. He spoke the truth. He showed his love and his grace and his forgiveness. And yet, to be hated and to be ridiculed, to be mocked, and to be delivered up. No greater miscarriage of justice than the mock trial that Jesus received. What's more, he gave him up to the unimaginable cup of God's wrath. Sin will be punished. When we are forgiven of our sins, it's not because God just gets uh, kind of soft in heart with regards to, oh, well, that'll be okay. No, the wages of sin is death. And we'll pay the price for our sin, of course, death number one. You'll pay the price, death number two, unless you receive Jesus, because he paid in full the penalty, do me and do you, yea, the whole world. Uh, God's wrath was poured out upon him, uh, not for him, for his sake, but for us all. He poured out his wrath on his son for me. And if you know Christ, he poured it out for you, uh, yea, for us all. Um, and then the, it goes on in verse 32. Another question. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he spared not his son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? In other words, do you think God's going to all of a sudden get kind of stingy with regards to doling out his blessings to his people? Not at all. Taking us back to Romans 8.28, I want to point out, as we think of all things, we know that all things work together 
for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purposes. And if you know Christ as your Savior, you fit that, uh, the truths of that scripture. And, of course, this is qualified to them that love God. And if Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And if a believer uh, has started out in Christ and yet veers off course, he's not just demonstrating love. Uh, we want to please the one that we love. And um, we see here that uh, all things work together for good. Um, he shall freely give us uh, that which is best for us, and we can know that. Turn with me to First uh, Corinthians chapter um, 5, 2 Corinthians it is, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as we uh, proceed through some other verses here that have to do with uh, all things and, and tap into some of these promises that he will give us all things. I can't get out of 1 Corinthians. I don't know why. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, that's those who have trusted Christ as Savior. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And of course, that's a reality. If you know Christ is your Savior, old things pass away. We can identify with that. Oh, we aren't all of a sudden miraculously perfect. We still have that sin nature. We still are prone to wander. But all things become new. We're not satisfied, and we can't be happy in those old ways, those old things. All things become new. And, of course, that's, again, a kind of a proof of those who um, say, oh, I'm a Christian, and yet they're living for the devil. And, um, you know, if they genuinely are saved, it's easy to profess to be saved, but to possess it, uh, you'll have a changed life. Chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians in verse 8. Chapter 9 and verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. Look at all the alls in that verse. Mark that down and give it a little bit of contemplation later. Um, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound unto every good work. And of course that makes me think of uh, the truth that we see over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. Paul asking the Lord to remove a thorn in the flesh. Not sure what that was. Three times he asked the Lord. It must have been something that pretty well bothered him. And, uh, and yet God basically says, uh, no. The answer was no. You know, sometimes when we ask the Lord something, he says no. Sometimes he says wait. Sometimes he answers but he said, no, he didn't, didn't say that in verse 9, but he, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And the conclusion that Paul came to then because of the answer that God gave him, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, even with your thorn in the flesh. 
Paul says most gladly, therefore, going on in verse 9, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know, when we move forward in our own strength, we're weak in God's eyes and spiritually. But when we're weak in the flesh and we realize where we get our strength, my friends, then we are strong. Um, so we see that God's grace is sufficient uh, for us. Turn to, with me over to Philippians chapter uh, 4 and verse 13. Philippians chapter 4, you know the verse. I can do all things. That's another all things. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He gives us some tall orders, but my friends, he gives us the strength. His grace is sufficient. No matter what he asks us to do or what he allows to come into our life that we're going through, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. And over in verse 19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Not by what we can scrape together and, and muster out of this old life. Uh, praise God, we can do that here. But uh, God knows our needs and it says he will supply all of our needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, in a passage that is dealing with uh, the dangers of wealth, 1 Timothy chapter 6, it's hard for me to see my computer, is it hard for you to see that up there? Uh, I'll get my computer moved over just a little bit more, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and notice what it says in Oh, goodness sakes, verse, uh, let's start in verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6, 6. For we brought nothing into this world, and certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. You know, that's one of Satan's tools, the lust of the eyes. Well, if you only had this, so we get that. Well, if you only had this, so we get that too. And we're never content. But my friends, in Christ we can be, having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful us, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many a sorrow. And of course, he's, this is written to a pastor and with reference to what Paul had seen in his life and ministries with regard to God's people who have veered off the course. And, of course, he's not saying that it's wrong to have things and it's, it's wrong to, to have money or to have plenty of it. God will take care of our needs, to be sure, but notice what he says um, in verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they may be not high-minded. In other words, don't think that your riches are going to be what gets you along in life or you'll find out different real quick nor to trust in uncertain riches our trust is not in our bank account or in our retirement account or in 
uh, you know, our 401k or in, for that matter, who's president. Nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. God has blessed us as a nation, as a people. We are so rich. And my friends, even if, even if we had nothing, I go to Africa and have, uh, the most humbling thing about it is seeing the absolute poverty these people have. And yet God's people are satisfied. They are content. They are happy. They have smiles on their face. And for the most part, most Africans do, except those involved in witchcraft and Islam and things like that. They're pretty angry-looking people. But uh, God has blessed us, so he's given us all things richly to enjoy. And uh, yet don't set your heart upon them. Uh, you can't serve God and mammon both. Don't lay up your treasures in heaven. If you have treasures here on earth, praise the Lord for it. So we see there I, one last verse that I've got to look at as I look at these things, this type of uh, concept, and that's over in Second Peter chapter 1 as we think of the extent of God's provision. Second Peter chapter 1, I turn to it frequently. Verse 3, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things. Sometimes we think of of God's provision as just being, you know, the you know, the food and the clothing and the roof over our head and, and making a uh, living wage and things like that, the physical things. But my friends, uh, when God talks about uh, how that if he spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with us freely, with him freely give us all things? We're talking about all things. I mean, every part of this life. And that's what this is talking about. He is given by his divine power. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. You know Christ is your savior. You have come to the knowledge of his saving power and his virtue. And you can be certain that God is not going to be stingy. He has given us all things we need for this life and for, for, for godliness. Um, and, of course, in verse 4, he tells us how, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. The promises of God's word. That's how he does this. Uh, get into God's word. Read those promises. Understand that God is faithful. And therein lies our hope. God, if he makes a promise, he'll keep his promise. You can cert be certain about that. Uh, because God is faithful, and that's the anchor to our soul, the fact that God keeps his promises. That's our hope. Uh, that's the bedrock underneath us, no matter what might happen in 2020, and why we don't need to be afraid, that we can be courageous. So he has given us all things, and of course we see here the extent, uh, first of all, of his, of his purpose. The extent of his purpose is eternal. From eternity past to eternity future, the child of God is locked in place. The extent of his provision, limitless. There's no end to it. Everything that we need for this life and for all eternity to come is ours. It's spelled out to us plainly in his word. God help us to be in his word and to stand on those promises and have faith in the things that God has said that he will provide for us. 
the extent of his pardon. I've got seven minutes left as we continue on down in verse 33 and 34. Uh, another question, as we take a look at the extent of his pardon, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? Um, who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who is it that is going to condemn well, I said that uh, I was going to go a little further into the question that we see there, if God be for us, who can be against us? And uh, if you would turn with me to Job, Job chapter 1, we'll see who endeavors to accuse God's people and who brings charges to the, against us to God. In Job 1.6 gives us an insight here that, my friends, if we didn't, if we didn't have this passage of, of history, uh, it, we'd just be kind of scratching our head wondering how this all works. But notice in what we see here in, in Job 1.6, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came among them, sons of God being the angelic realm here, Satan came with them. And, he, and the Lord said to Satan, Whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth? Have you, have you looked him over? A perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou not made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hand and his substance has increased of his land. But you put forth your hand now and touch him in all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. And of course, this story goes on here and, and I might say in verse 12, the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power. Only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And it tells what Satan did to Job. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> but notice the sovereignty of God in this. I want you to see. Kind of a sobering truth that we see here. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, Satan does. Let's go back to the book of Revelation. Revelations chapter 12, where we get another glimpse into a heavenly scene here. In Revelations chapter 12, I believe it's the middle of the tribulation period is where I believe we're at here. And we have a scene in heaven. We have a war in heaven. As it says in 12.7, there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against his angels, and prevailed not. Satan and his followers that followed him in his rebellion prevailed not. And the great dragon was cast out, 
That old serpent called the devil so identifies just who he is and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, was cast out into the earth and the angels were cast out with him. So I think the, the truth of what we see here, Satan has had access to God, into God's presence. Even though this, this world is seen as his, uh, he's the God of this age and the prince and the power of, of the air here, and he does his dastardly deeds here. He can't in heaven, but he has access to heaven. But at this point, middle of the tribulation period, he's cast out of heaven. He no longer has any more access. Well, the poor worldlings at that point. But it says in verse 10, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Who's going to make any accusation against God's people? Satan. Day and night. He's there before the throne of God saying, would you look down at that one that calls himself a Christian? And so we see that we have some, as we go on, we see that uh, there's some uh, powers to be that we wrestle against. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and against powers and, and against uh, spiritual wickednesses in high places. But notice, as it goes on to say here, back into our text of Romans chapter 8, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. My friends, go back to the first verse of chapter 8. 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, because we are justified. We are declared righteous. And it has to do with the transaction. Jesus takes our sin upon himself and he gives us in exchange for it his righteousness. And of course that doesn't mean that we're all of a sudden perfect. No, we fight this battle down here in this, with the prince and the power of the air and, and the, the wiles of the devil, his trickery, his deceit as he continually tries to fire his darts at us. But as it says there in 1 Corinthians or Ephesians 6, 15, above all, take the shield of faith. Raise up that shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. My friends, back to our text again. Uh, we could turn to uh, a, a huge number of scriptures that have to do with how it is we are justified when we receive Christ as our Savior. We are justified. He says uh, there in chapter 8, uh, it is God that justifieth. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. Try to wrap this up here as quickly as I can, but we're talking some, some serious stuff here. First John chapter 2, coming out of the truth that we see in chapter 1, which tells us how we can maintain fellowship. It's not a salvation passage. 
It's talking about maintaining fellowship and the fact that we do sin yet. If we say we don't, we lie and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, chapter 1 verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins as God's promise and he's faithful to keep it. You just go to him. You confess your sin. You admit it. You tell God what you've done. He knows anyway. But you admit it. You humble yourself. And he is just and faithful to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now chapter 2 verse 1. My little children, these things write I to you that you sin not. In other words, I'm not giving you a license to just go out and live any way you want. Because you can come and get forgiveness and get back in fellowship. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have an advocate. Satan is a prosecuting attorney. He's pointing his pointy finger down here at, at us, and, and, and yet Jesus steps up to the throne. And he is our advocate. And he says, hey, He's one of mine. He's bought by the blood that I shed there upon the cross of Calvary. And it goes on to say, he is, verse 2, the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. My friends, propitiation is a big theological term, but it means he is a satisfaction. He has satisfied the holy and the righteous demands of God upon our sin, upon my sin, and upon your sin. God doesn't just wink at sin when he forgives because he punished sin in full on his son Jesus and Jesus shed his blood there for us. He is the one that died and that has rose again. And he steps up. And he's there, he's there ever living to make intercession. And of course that goes beyond just, you know, him being our defense attorney. You know, when you have a prayer need, you get God's people to pray, we intercede on behalf. Jesus is praying. He's there at the throne of God, ever living, to make intercession. Oh, the extent of God's pardon. Endless, complete, nothing left out. No oops at all. God is in sovereign control. His, the extent of his purpose, the extent of his provision, the extent of his pardon. Next week we'll go on to the extent of his protection as we see going on in, in our Romans 8 passage and the extent of his presence. These mighty truths. Mighty truths. But they're talking about believers. I'm preaching to the choir, Right? But I never take for granted that everybody that's in an audience that I have the privilege of sharing the truths of God's word with is all saved. If you're saved and you know it, say amen. amen. All right. I think that was unanimous, right? It's talking about believers here. These truths are for us as God's people. But my friends, when we see these truths, uh, we can realize that there is assurance and security for uncertain times. We're living in uncertain times. But all the security, the assurance,
their protection that is ours. No matter how an election turns out or any of those things, may God help us to stand upon his word. Thank you, Father, for your word, and thank you for this time together in it. Thank you for such a wonderful chapter as Romans chapter 8 and these mighty, mighty, eternal, infinite, complete promises that you give us that touch every area of our life. Blessed to the end that, Father, we leave here today uh, standing upon those promises and claiming them and and uh, living these things. And, Father, we realize that the, in the insecurity of our day and and the things, the problems we see going on in, in the world and even in our country. Father, we realize that time's growing short. So help us to live for you. There's souls to be saved. And it's most likely some that we know. Neighbors, friends, family, uh, people we might just bump into as we come and go. Father, help us to be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. Blessed to that end as we leave here today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.